Not only did he teach them about God, though, he lived it out. And he lived it out perfectly. His example was compelling in every way. Everything he did was always perfect and always holy, always right. Wouldn't that be a compelling example if you knew somebody today who never, never, never failed in any way? Someone today who never lost it, never was out of control, never failed in his speech, never said a vain word. Someone who always practiced what he preached. You see, Jesus was the only one who's ever done that and his example was compelling. He was like no other. His followers, they were working class, they were educated alike. He caught all kinds of people. He caught the ancient equivalent of accountants. Yes, even accountants. As we're approaching tax deadline, I know that many are thinking, really, can anything good come out of accounting? <laughs> Jesus called the equivalent of accountants. He called some to be an apostle who was well known as a zealot. Zealots were the, the original activists before it was cool to be an activist. Back when not only could you go to jail, you could be killed by the Romans for drawing too much attention. He called such a diverse group of people because he was truly different. He was truly the Son of God. He was like no other. He perfectly fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies. They knew Jesus was different. He was no more mere man. How could anybody be so perfect and so Holy, it was unmistakable. Jesus was not a normal man. Something about him made Levi, who was a tax collector. Tax collectors in that day were not looked on as very positively. They were very politically savvy. They played both sides of the field. They, they catered to the Romans. They catered to the Jews. Whichever side they could make money off of. They were deceitful. They were devious. And something about Jesus made Levi immediately leave everything. And he would have amassed quite a fortune. They made him leave everything and, and throw a huge feast for Jesus to eat with his other tax collector friends. What kind of person was Jesus? Did he turn away from people who were unworthy, unlovely? No, Jesus, he went and ate, it says, with Matthew and the other tax collectors. And, and that irked the Pharisees, the, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of that day, the people who appeared to be holy, people who appeared to be right, who appeared to be following God, who appeared to be pious. That made him angry and said, why does he eat with tax collectors? But you see, Jesus looked in the heart he called all people, no matter what their background was, to come to him. He called the prostitutes to come to him. He called the liars, the thieves, the tax collectors. This was no ordinary man. He was unlike anybody the disciples have ever known. He, he truly loved people. He treated people with equity, with fairness. He asked all people to come unto him. He didn't condone sin or sinful lifestyles, but he loved people out of their sin. He called sinners to come to him. When the Pharisees rebuked him for eating with the tax collectors, he said, it's, it's not the well that need a physician. It's those who are sick. You see, Jesus comes to those who need him. Whether you know it or not, you need him. 
And Jesus proved himself to his disciples countless times. From the very first public miracle, he showed who he was. It's kind of a comical interaction. He was minding his own business at this wedding feast with his disciples. He was trying to take a back seat. He was just enjoying himself. His mom knows who he is, comes up to him. And she says, uh, Jesus, they, uh, they ran out of wine. Like, are you going to do something about that? And, and so Jesus responds and he says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. But, but he didn't stop there. He was kind to his mom. He had, he had compassion on his mom when his mom, like so many of our moms, ignored him. Ignored his objection. He said, what, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. She just doesn't even respond to him. She just goes, turns to the servants, whatever, go and do whatever he tells you. Well, yeah, Jesus, I know, yeah, it's not your hour, it's not come, but okay, do what he tells you because he's going to do it, I know, I know he's going to do it. And, and, and so, so he's merciful to his mom. He tells them to fill the water jars with water and they, they did what he told them and obeyed and, and he did something that no one had ever done. He took the most basic element of life, water, and he turns it into wine. Who would want to hang around with somebody who could work miracles like that? Jesus was passionate, though, about God and wanted to make sure that people worshipped God for who He was. He had the boldness to drive people out of the temple who were making a mockery of the temple and trying to profit from worship. He wasn't okay with people trying to charge people to worship God. Jesus did things that that no one could dispute as well. He, he made the blind to see in front of hundreds. He made the lame to walk. We read of an account in the Gospels of a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. This is not someone who just become paralyzed, was maybe having some problems walking. This was somebody who had been paralyzed 38 years. Not only that, the entire community knew about this man because he was, he was by a pool. He was always hoping that he would get into the pool when it would get stirred up because the belief was when the pool was stirred it was an angel stirring this pool and he would receive healing and so he was always waiting but he never made it and for 38 years people would see him hey push me in push me in push me in and he, he never got in 38 years people saw him by the pool of shalom and yet Jesus heals him and says take up your bed and walk a man whose muscles had atrophied for 38 years immediately gets up and walks. So it's a medical impossibility. Jesus proved he was God over nature. He was crossing the Sea of Galilee. A storm picks up and rages. Jesus is napping in the boat. He's unconcerned. His disciples are freaked out. They're terrified. They wake him up and say, Don't you care? We're going to die. We're going to drown. And Jesus, he's like, oh, you have little faith. And then he turns and does something very strange. He turns away from the disciples and to the storm. Who's he talking to? And he says, peace be still. Disciples are like, what was that? Was he talking to us? What? Huh? And then all of a sudden, the wind stops. The water goes calm. It says it was as calm as glass. His disciples were freaked out. They were scared, but they weren't scared of the storm anymore. They weren't scared of the wind, 
They were terrified because somebody in this boat just spoke to the wind and waves and they stopped. This was no ordinary man. He was proving he had power not only over the elements of nature, but over nature itself. Not only over sickness and disease, but over everything. See, Jesus came and he conquered all. He proved he was God over nature. Could you imagine... If you ever saw the movie of the perfect storm and maybe read the book, could you imagine in the midst of this perfect storm and this, this wave is about to overtake you and one of the sailors turns and says, be still. And then it all stops. You would be a little wigged out. See, no one's ever done that except for Jesus. He was uniquely God. And because he was the creator, he had power over nature and he still does. Later, Jesus does something else that no human has ever done except for Peter for a few moments. They're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee again. Jesus sees them out in the middle. And he thinks, ah, I'll catch up with them. But see, Jesus wasn't a fisherman. I don't know if he knew how to boat or not. But he knew how to walk. And so he walks on water. These these were not gullible men. These were men who, who didn't think it was possible. And so the only plausible... The only plausible explanation they could have in their minds was, It must be a ghost! And Jesus said, no, it's, it's me. So Peter goes, Lord, let me come out to you. And so Jesus commands him to come out and he comes out. And for a brief few moments, Peter does what's impossible because Jesus enables him. There was no magic trick. This was, this was not some stunt where there's glass under the water. They were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. These skeptical fishermen, they believe they saw that Jesus is the Son of God. Why do we have these accounts? Why do we have all of these eyewitness accounts? We have these eyewitness accounts not just so we have good stories to tell. We have eyewitness accounts like this so we too can see who Jesus really is. See that Jesus is no mere man. He's no tame human being. He's no God that we command. He's a God who commands everything. He's a God who commands us to come and to follow him. He calls his followers to step out to trust him, even when it seems like it's too much. Jesus, then, he also refuted the most wise people in the nation of the time. They were trying to catch him in his words, and he spoke so simply that even though he could refute the wise, the children wanted to follow him. He proved he had power over the really weird spiritual stuff too. He proved he was God over the natural and supernatural. We have an account when Jesus is encountering a man. They call him demoniac. And he was filled with a legion, a host, a a large number of demons. And he has a dialogue, asks them their name, and he commands them to go out with a word. He disperses the supernatural. He has power not only over illness, disease, the physical world. He has power over the supernatural world as well. This is who the disciples came to know. This is who the disciples wondered, how in the world could this man, who has power over all, how could he have died and what's happened? can't imagine Easter morning, before they found out the news, how distraught they were. It was the third day was dawning. 
He had proved he had power over every human ailment. He healed a woman who had been sick for so many years and no doctors could help her in any way. And so when she just unknowingly touched the hem of his garment, he didn't know, but she was having faith in him, touched just the hem of his garment, it says she was instantly healed. This was one in whom all power lived. How confusing the disciples. He healed the untouchables. He proved he had power over even flesh-eating disease of leprosy. You see, there was no disease. There was no genetic disorder. There was no malady beyond his ability. He knew the truth. And he set people free. There was a woman at the well that he encountered in Samaria. And she was dialoguing with him and said she's going to go return to her husband. He said, yeah, it's true, but the one you're with is not married. You're not married to been married five times and she was amazed that Jesus told her all that she ever did he proved he had power over life and death and raised people again to life countless times actually John says if all the miracles that he did were written down no book could contain it in John 5 18 it talks about after he had done many miracles John 5, 18, it says, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. And he was proving it too. It says, Making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And then Jesus says, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. The disciples marveled. We're meant to marvel at who Jesus was and who he is. It says, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. What he's saying is, he is God. Some people want to reread the Bible and say that Jesus never claimed to be God. No, he indeed claimed to be one with the Father. And then he proved it. He said in verse 26 of John 5, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he's the son of man. This is who the disciples came to know Jesus was. Jesus proved himself. His disciples, they responded and believed, but some people chose not to believe. The question for you and I this morning is, which one are you? Are you of those who have heard of Jesus and said, He was just a good man, but he wasn't God. Or are you those who hear who Jesus is and say, I will follow him no matter what. I'll follow him no matter what the cost is. You see, you can't think of Jesus as some acceptable moral teacher. I don't want you to be comfortable with that. Because, you see, Jesus is not comfortable with that. He's not just a good moral teacher. He was who he said he was. Either he was the Son of God... And if so, you have an obligation to listen to him. You have an obligation to respond to him, to follow him. Or 
he was a lunatic or a charlatan. You can't be confronted with who Jesus was and be ambivalent. And if you're ambivalent this morning, I want you to be uncomfortable. I want you to be uncomfortable with Jesus who's God. Jesus who is Lord over all creation. Jesus who spoke and people came back to life. When he said, Lazarus, come forth. He'd been dead for four days. His sister said, oh, no, no, Lord, don't, don't roll away that stone. He stinketh. It's been four days. And that Jewish environment, in that, in that context, they, they didn't embalm. Four days in a humid climate would have done some severe damage to the human body. It was bad enough that he was a man and men stink anyway, but after four days of death, she said, no, 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 don't do that. He stinks already. He's, he's decomposing. And yet with a word, Jesus speaks and he came back to life. You can't be comfortable with this Jesus. Don't be ambivalent about who Jesus was and is. Get to know him. Investigate him. Investigate who he said he was and who he is. If you're not sure, read. I would encourage you, read throughout the gospel accounts of skeptical men who'd become converted because they'd seen irrefutable evidence of Jesus Christ. He proved who he was to his disciples and he's proven who he was to us and who he is. Jesus says, whoever hears my words, this morning you're hearing his words. He says, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That's the call to each and every person here this morning. That's why if you were rejoicing, that's what we rejoice about. If you hear Jesus' words, if you believe in him, you have eternal life. He does not come into judgment, Jesus says, but has passed from death. To life, I would encourage you, come and see who Jesus is. Believe in Him, respond to Him, and receive eternal life. But who else were the disciples? They were, they were flawed men. They were men who had come to see Jesus for who He was. They'd come to understand He was the Messiah. And they were convinced, but they were mistaken about what that meant. They knew He must be the Son of God. They knew He must be the Messiah, the Chosen One. So he must be the one who's going to deliver us from oppression. He must be the one who's going to deliver us from the Romans. So they thought that he'd be a conquering Messiah, but his conquering was of another type altogether. You see, he came to conquer the human heart. He came to conquer sin. He came to conquer death. He came to suffer in their place. They they thought that surely God would not allow the suffering of his people... They didn't understand he was after the most important things, though. He was after their hearts. He wanted people to follow him, not for what he could do for them, but for who he is. Jesus refuses to be a lucky rabbit's foot. He refuses to be a genie in a lamp doing things for you at your whim. You see, Jesus is God. And he does things for his followers, but he's not tame. And he's not controlled by us. He wanted them to trust in him no matter what. And he, he wants each and every person here to trust in him. To follow him even when things are difficult. Because he knows that when we trust in ourselves, when we trust in anything else, the results are damning. 
Why does God at times bring difficult circumstances and trials? Because He wants our faith to be in the only one sure, true thing. He wants our faith to be in the Son. Because in everything else, it leads to deceit. He didn't want the disciples to trust in anything else. He knew what was ultimately best for them was to trust in Him. And what's ultimately best for us is to trust in Him. At first, the disciples didn't get this. They didn't understand why Jesus had to die. So on Easter morning, when they awoke, they were confused. They were concerned. They were distraught. Their world, they thought, had fallen apart. They didn't understand at first why Jesus had to die. Maybe you're here this morning. You don't understand why Jesus had to die. You see, this wasn't an option. When Adam sinned against God, all of humanity was thrown into sin. And every one of us on our own has rebelled against God, has disobeyed God's commands. And there was no other way for mankind to be redeemed than that His Son, His perfect and only holy righteous one, would come and die in our place. They didn't realize the gravity of their sins against God. And maybe you're here this morning you don't realize the gravity of your sins against God and realize that you have offended an infinite holy God. And for God to be just, His anger must burn against your sin. You need salvation like I need salvation. The disciples at first, they didn't see they couldn't live lives good enough or moral enough to be accepted by God. They didn't understand at first that living by the law does not save you. Maybe you're here this morning thinking that you can live a good moral life. That you can look like a Christian. That you can come to church. That coming to church on Easter or Christmas, maybe that will get you into heaven. Maybe God will be okay with you because you're basically a good person. And yet Jesus will have none of that. The disciples didn't understand it at first. They didn't realize their sins were so great that Jesus had to die for them. But don't be mistaken, Jesus had to die. The disciples had to see that they couldn't be faithful enough on their own. And so the one who was called Simon, who Jesus nicknamed Peter, the rock, he's the rock. And Peter says, oh, I mean, Jesus says, Peter, you're, I call you the rock, but you're going to deny me. He says, oh no, Lord, if all else fall away, if everybody falls away, I'll be good enough. And Jesus had something in mind. He wanted the one who was going to help lead the disciples and lead the early church to know that he could not trust his own faithfulness. That he couldn't trust his own ability. Even the rock. Peter couldn't trust his ability to remain faithful to God. And Jesus wanted him to see that. Because if you don't see that you can't trust your ability and you can't trust your faithfulness, then you're not going to trust in God. Well, the rock crumbled. He was no rock on his own. He crumbles when a little girl sees him in the courtyard. And the little girl says, aren't you one of his disciples? And he goes, oh no, that's not me. I'm pretty sure you're one of his disciples. No, no. And the rock crumbles and he makes eye contact with Jesus. And I can just imagine how he must have felt. And then how he must have felt Easter morning. He was thinking, I was unfaithful. 
And then I love that one of the first things that Jesus does when he is resurrected, he, he tells them to go tell the disciples and Peter. Specifically because he wants Peter to know that it's, Peter, it's my faithfulness. It's, it's not about your faithfulness. If you put your worth in yourself, you're going to eventually fail. If you haven't failed yet as a human being, let me know. I'd, I'd love to meet you. Eventually you're going to fail. Eventually you'll doubt. But here's the thing that we're meant to do. We're meant to see that we're only to trust in the worth of Jesus. And in nothing else. Not even our own belief. Maybe you're afraid to admit that you trust in Him. Maybe you're afraid to give everything up and trust in Him because it will mean for you and for your family, for your friends. But know this, as God... Jesus has loved you so much that as the creator of time, it says he knew you before time began, before you were even formed in your mother's womb. And Jesus willingly chose to suffer and die in your place and for your sins. So that you might be forgiven if only you confess your sins, turn to him and believe. But when Jesus died, his disciples had all this knowledge, they knew all these things. But then they watched him die. And they were shaken. Can you imagine how shaking that would have been? On Friday, they saw the Savior of the world die. And he stayed dead. And they took him off the cross. And they put him in a tomb. And they wrapped him up. They put a big stone in front. I can only imagine how their faith was shaken They were tempted to doubt. Maybe you're tempted to doubt at times. And if Jesus had stayed in the grave, then all that he taught would have been in vain. It would have been been proven to be false. And the disciples' faith would have been proven to be futile. They were hiding Easter morning. They were hiding, afraid that what the Jews did to Jesus would be done to them. They were confused, they were sad, they were distraught. Imagine if you were one of his disciples that Easter morning. You heard what he said, you saw what he did, and yet now he's dead. Thomas, one of the twelve, even after he heard from the others that Jesus appeared to them in a locked room, listen to what he says in John twenty twenty five. He says, unless I, these were no gullible men, he says, unless I... See in his hands the mark of the nails. Talk about callous. And place my finger into the mark of the nails. And place my hand into his side. I will never believe. Maybe you're like Thomas this morning and you're thinking, Oh, that's a nice Easter story. But you don't place your faith in Jesus any more than the Easter bunny. Let me tell you. Jesus has risen. And it didn't end there. Jesus had mercy on Thomas too. And eight days later, he came to Thomas. And he appeared to him. Later it says, when the disciples were inside in John 20, 26, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Thomas must have been thinking, oh no. 
Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my, see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Imagine that Easter morning though. Matthew 28 tells us right after Jesus had risen from the dead, that Jesus was alive. Matthew, this converted tax collector, this, this really callous political criminal, he wrote about what happened and he said in Matthew 28, 1, Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of that first day of the week, that first Easter Sunday, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, went to see the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was, was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. Imagine that. The women have just, the ground has shaken. The stone gets rolled away. They're seeing this and the soldiers fall over. Do you think they're going to be tempted to be afraid? What on earth just happened? So that wasn't an understatement. Don't be afraid, for I know that you see Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. See, I've told you. And it says they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to Galilee, to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. The doctor, Luke, he wrote about the same occurrence. He says, On the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to tomb, to the tomb, taking the spices they prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed, I bet they were perplexed. They were perplexed about this and said, Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, not only was Jesus dead, now he's not here, and there's some shiny big dudes here. It's a little scary. They had no category for this. It says, The men said to him, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, must be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Now it says that to the apostles, it says in verse chapter 11, these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. How confused they were on Easter morning. But Peter, he rose and he ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. You see, Jesus did not remain dead. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And he calls everyone to come and follow him. But not only that, he promises to make us live again. 
The disciples, they must have been in awe. Imagine as they started to put the pieces together, they must have been ecstatic that first Easter morning. They must have been overwhelmed with joy because Jesus is alive. What does it mean? It means His resurrection is proof that what He said was true. It means that all these accounts that we told you about, all the things He he did and said, it proved He was God. Because only God has power over death to raise Himself to life. His resurrection is proven as death satisfied the just wrath of God against all sin. And that everyone who places their faith in Jesus will be saved. His resurrection is proof of that. Don't let yourself doubt this morning. Don't stay in condemnation feeling as if you remain dead in sin. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, His resurrection is proof that not only did He raise Himself to life, that if we have died with Christ, we've also risen with Him. He's no longer dead. The grave didn't hold Him. There's real hope in life. There's hope for relationship with God. The Apostle Paul, once called Saul, he, he was a brilliant mind. He, he was once a skeptical religious leader. He persecuted and he mocked the Christians. But he became convinced about who Jesus was. And he wrote in 1 Corinthians fifteen three, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And let's hear this as first importance for us this morning. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried. And it doesn't end there. That He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And He appeared to Cephas and to the Twelve. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. There's irrefutable evidence and proof. His evidence demands... As you answer the question, who do you say that I am? He appeared to hundreds of people. There was no group delusion. His resurrection is indisputable. There were countless eyewitnesses. The disciples that got it, they finally believed. (laughs) Jesus had mercy on them when they weren't. they, They saw him, but could this really be real? So he ate fish with them. He let them touch him and said, yeah, come here, touch me. After Thomas put his hands in his side and saw Jesus' hands, listen to what Thomas says in verse 28 of John 20. He says, My Lord and my God. What is your response this morning to the risen Christ? Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Listen to what he says to everyone here this morning. He says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of disciples which are not written in this book because but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in His name. Jesus did not leave His disciples confused about who He was. He doesn't leave us confused about who He was and who He is. All of these things have been written so that you might believe, so that you might respond. They're not written to be a good story. It's the greatest story ever told because it's it's a true story. It's an account of how one came to die for you and for me and for our sins, to take God's wrath that you deserved 
And how God accepted his sacrifice. And God proved that his sacrifice was acceptable by raising him to life again. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? After he raised Lazarus from the dead, he told Martha in John eleven twenty five. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't just say, I resurrect people. He didn't just say, I have life or I give people life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I personify real life. I am the one who is the resurrection. I am the one who brings to life. Whoever believes in me, he says, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asked Martha, this is where we'll close this morning. He says, do you believe this? We're going to get ready to have a baptism in a moment. I'll go ahead and ask Aaron and the folks to come forward. This morning, Jesus asks each one of you this morning the same question. We get to share in the, the testimony and hearing the testimony of a couple people who have answered this question. Who do you say that I am? Do you believe? His disciples have believed. They're not unsure. They're not in doubt. And if you've believed, not only that he's been resurrected, but that he is the resurrection and the life. There's a promise awaiting you. You'll never die. That is good hope this Easter morning. He is risen. Amen.